You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The 3CX desktop app is under exploitation in a supply chain campaign. An open letter asks for a pause in advanced AI development. All your grammar and usage are belong us. Combo squatting might fool even the wary. Defender had flagged Zoom and other safe sites as dangerous. Matt O'Neill from the U.S. Secret Service discusses his agency's cybersecurity mission. Our guest is Ping Lee from Signify with a look at online fraud. And the FSB arrests a U.S. journalist. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, March 30th, 2023. We begin with a quick note about a fast-developing story. Many companies' research units are reporting that a vulnerability in the widely used 3CX desktop app is being exploited in a supply chain campaign that may prove as significant as, for example, the Solar Winds incident. CISA, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, issued a terse warning this morning, stating... CISA is aware of open-source reports describing a supply chain attack against 3CX software and their customers. According to the reports, 3CX desktop app, a voice and video conferencing app, was trojanized, potentially leading to multi-staged attacks against users employing the vulnerable app. CISA advises users to scan for indicators of compromise. 3CX early this morning issued its own warning, describing the steps it's taking to close the vulnerability and offers users mitigations. We'll be following the situation as it develops with updates posted to our site as they become available. Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak, and Andrew Yang are all among those who've signed an open letter urging for a slowdown in the development of AI technology. The letter warns of the danger that they believe advanced AI poses to humanity— The letter begins by asserting that powerful AI systems should be developed only once we're confident that their effects will be positive and their risks will be manageable. 
The letter calls for a pause of at least six months on the training of AI systems more powerful than GPT-4. The letter emphasizes that this pause should be used for development of existing AI interfaces to make them more accurate, safe, interpretable, transparent, robust, aligned, trustworthy, and loyal. Also considered is a need for AI developers to work with policymakers to implement regulations on AI. Dark Reading reports that even proponents of AI development, like the chief executive of OpenAI, shared concerns about AI's ability to both spread disinformation and launch cyber attacks. Critics of the letter wonder if this kind of technological advance can be inhibited by regulation or persuasion. AI now comes across as less subliterate than your average crook. The Guardian reports on how cybercriminals can use advanced chatbots to write convincing phishing emails. Corey Thomas, CEO of Rapid7, told the publication, Every hacker can now use AI that deals with all misspellings and poor grammar. The idea that you can rely on looking for bad grammar or spelling in order to spot a phishing attack is no longer the case. We used to say that you could identify phishing attacks because the emails looked a certain way. That no longer works. Likewise, Max Heinemeyer, chief product officer at Darktrace, explained how threat actors can use AI to craft spear phishing emails, stating, I can just crawl your social media and put it to GPT, and it creates a super believable tailored email. Even if I'm not super knowledgeable of the English language, I can craft something that's indistinguishable from human. Akamai today blogged about cyber squatting, domain squatting, and URL misdirection, which creates a domain name closely related to an impersonated brand's or organization's domain. One of the more effective forms of cyber squatting has come to be combo squatting, which adds a plausible keyword to a domain name. So, if you are impersonating the fictitious MaxOrdinate company, you might change their authentic domain of MaxOrdinate.com to something like MaxOrdinateCustomer.com, a careless recipient of the link, even if they've been trained to look at the domains, might well decide it looked legit and click through. Combo squatting was, in 2022, the most observed cyber squatting tactic, with combo squatting also generating the most DNS queries. While typo squatting remains in the limelight, researchers note that combo squatting appears to be the more effective and prevalent threat. Support was found to be the most common keyword added to combo-squatting domains. Microsoft tweeted yesterday that Microsoft Defender was erroneously flagging some URLs as malicious. The Register reports that some major services, such as Zoom and Google, were triggering false positives in Defender. Users were still able to access the sites, but the Register says that hundreds of false alerts were extremely time-consuming for administrators. Microsoft fixed the problem yesterday afternoon after finding that the issues were caused by changes to Defender's SafeLinks feature. Microsoft stated, We determined that recent additions to the SafeLinks feature resulted in the false alerts, and we subsequently reverted these additions to fix the issue. Turning to shifts and trends in the hybrid war Russia is waging against Ukraine, The Voice of America reviews more comments from Ukrainian officials and experts in allied countries to the effect that Russian cyber operations seem to be rising as Russian offenses fall short. 
Russia is preparing for a long war. Its intelligence services are working to establish persistence in adversary networks. Its hacktivist and criminal auxiliaries are taking the fight to Ukraine's Western sympathizers, and its attempts to influence opinion continue unabated, both domestically and internationally. Prominent among the current active Russian threat groups is the APT, variously known as TA-473, Winter Vivern, and UAC-0114. Proofpoint this morning released a report on the actor's recent efforts. They're for the most part running fishing expeditions, Proofpoint says. The company's assessment is that the goal of this activity is assessed to be gaining access to the emails of military, government, and diplomatic organizations across Europe involved in the Russia-Ukrainian war. TA-473 is notable for the amount of time and care it expends on reconnaissance of its targets, and we'll be hearing more about them in the coming weeks. Tom Tugendhat, the UK's Minister of State for Security, has published an op-ed in The Telegraph in which he extols the value of open-source intelligence and describes steps the government is taking toward institutionalizing OSINT collection and analysis. The center of that push will be the establishment of an open-source intelligence hub. And finally, in some disturbing news, Russia's FSB has arrested U.S. journalist Evan Gershkovich, a reporter for The Wall Street Journal, who works from the paper's Moscow bureau, the AP reports. He was taken into custody in Yekaterinburg in the course of trying to obtain classified documents, the FSB claims. The Wall Street Journal said of the arrest, The Wall Street Journal vehemently denies the allegations from the FSB and seeks the immediate release of our trusted and dedicated reporter, Evan Gerskovich. We stand in solidarity with Evan and his family. It's hard to see the arrest as anything other than hostage-taking. We second the journal's wishes for Evan Gerskovich's quick and safe return and wish his family the best during this difficult time. Coming up after the break, Matt O'Neill from the U.S. Secret Service discusses his agency's cybersecurity mission. Our guest is Ping Lee from Signified with a look at online fraud. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. 
Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Online fraud continues to run rampant. An ongoing cat-and-mouse game between those looking to make a quick dishonest buck and those trying to protect their business and customers. Ping Li is VP of Risk Intelligence at Signified, where they recently shared results of their State of Fraud report. So there's, uh, I would say, three I would say highlights. Uh, the first one is we have observed accelerated uh, fraud attack attacks, and we definitely observed an increase in scale across the board, particularly in 2022 holiday season. I have been in the fraud industry for almost 20 years, and I'd say I have not seen this type of scale uh, in my career. And even in the last two months, I mean, not January, February, I still see the pressure, the fraud pressure is still on the frauds. The fraudsters are still testing and attacking. And then that's the first one. The second one is um, we also see the rise of first-party fraud. Sometimes we also, people call it friendly fraud, which is not that friendly. Uh, (laughs) We have definitely seen an increase of uh, the first-party fraud who the customers who the the first-party to uh, say, do uh, return and refund abuse, just lie about the items that they re- have received, that, but um, saying they have been lost. Um, so chargeback uh, abuse that we have seen, as well as uh, promo abuse. Um, so that's the second trend. And the third trend that I think as a risk industry, we have seen the risk professionals are not just say, let's stop the fraud, but we have lots of efforts have to put it into how do we optimize the, the business? How do we help to reduce the frictions of the customers? And we're innovating. And I've seen a lot of innovations across the industry. Well, where do we stand today when it comes to the the technology that's available for organizations to try to fight these fraud trends? I'd say majority of the focus is on AI and machine learning. You know, the fraudsters, they're innovating. And and I think traditionally there are lots of rule-based uh, fraud detections and manual reviews. But those are all, I'd say, far outdated with the so many data that are available, the machine learning, the uh, machine learning models, the AI technology. I think that's 
definitely is the trends and is where um, the, the industry and merchants and uh, um, risk professionals are focusing on using. Are there any particular areas that these folks are targeting and any verticals that, the, that they have in their sites? So, of course, they're targeting any merchandise who's, uh, which is uh, easily resellable, um, all the way coming from cell phones, laptops, electronics, to the, um, the apparels like um, the shoes, uh, high-end shoes, luxury goods. So anything that can be easily resell, those are all the targets. So based on the information that you all have gathered here, what are your recommendations? How should people go about best protecting themselves? Yes, I would say just like I said earlier, invest in um, AI and machine learning and use the automation tools to... um, say, improve your efficiency, improve your uh, performance of, uh, against the, the fraud attacks and work, I would say, work with the industry, work together to find ways that having, say, early detection, early warning uh, product or, or system that can, can help us to um, do a detection of anomalies, and so because sometimes when chargebacks comes in, when the damage is already done, it's too late for us, right? So I think the focus should be on early detection, anomaly detection, and um, machine learning. Is there anything particularly new or innovative that you all are tracking from these fraudsters? We have seen, definitely we know that fraudsters are constantly trying to find both constantly trying to circumvent our detection, our defense systems. The trends that I have been seeing uh, that the frosts are doing more of are, um, I think, APL. I definitely see account takeover continue to increase. I think the reason is that a lot of our merchants and e-commerce industry were trying to uh, establish (coughs) customer loyalties we encourage people to create accounts so we can get uh, so they can receive say discounts and promotions and so because of that i think lots of people are, are creating their ac- accounts instead of using uh, a guest checkout and that gives an opportunity for fosters right to uh, really steal people's account um so ATO is one and i also have seen Opus, which is that buy it now and pay, um, sorry, um, uh, buy online and, and pick up in store. And because the fosters this time, they don't have to, say, provide a, a delivery address um, because from velocity perspective, it will be very suspicious, right? The same residential houses, you buy a hundred of uh, phones and, and then send it to the same place. So they, I definitely seen the shift of doing more of bopis. Um, so I'd say I'll just call out that too, just for our merchants to be very aware of. That's Ping Lee from Signify.
And it is my pleasure to welcome to the studio Matt O'Neill. He is Deputy Special Agent in Charge of Cyber at the United States Secret Service. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I would love to start out uh, with just a little bit of level setting. I think for most folks, when they think of the Secret Service, the first thing they think of is, of course, the protection of the president, the folks in the executive branch. There's a lot more to the organization than that, and I think maybe most folks aren't familiar with what you all do in cyber. Can you bring us up to date and educate us? What exactly is the mission? Sure. So the Secret Service was founded in 1865 in the Department of the Treasury, and we were founded because at that time, a significant amount of currency throughout the country at the end of the Civil War was counterfeit. And we actually stayed in the Department of the Treasury until uh, 2003. It wasn't when they created the Department of Homeland Security. Mm. It wasn't until 1901, after the assassination of three presidents, that we picked up what is more widely known for one of our responsibilities is physical protection of, uh, of the president. Ever since 1865, we've had our hand in protecting the financial infrastructure of the country. So as fraud trends and uh, attacks on the financial infrastructure have evolved, so has our agency and organization. So we focus off on specifically financially motivated uh, fraud in in this realm, uh, financially motivated cybercrime. And so ever since, you know, the late 1980s, as all frauds have become more and more digital uh, and electronic, so so have our uh, investigations. So is there a lot of collaboration that goes on with your colleagues at the FBI and other agencies who are involved with this sort of thing? Yes. So one of the key pieces of uh, information that we like to let people know is for the general public, it doesn't matter to us who you contact, FBI, HSI, uh, IRSCI, depending on what the investigation is, or the U.S. Secret Service. We are charged to work collaboratively together through groups like the NCIJTF, and also through our personal relationships, both in uh, field offices and in headquarters. But we all have sort of concurrent oversight over any, any host of uh, fraud types. Explain to me how the organization is set up. You mentioned field offices. Is that, should that be the primary contact for folks out there who want to kind of pre-establish their relationship with you all? Yes, we have 43 cyber fraud task forces around the United States. Each major city probably has a cyber fraud task force near you. I highly encourage people to to reach out to their office and say they want to join their cyber fraud task force. And then in our headquarters, we have several cyber components. The first is our cyber intelligence section, which has been around for about 20 years and focuses on uh, the most sophisticated, financially motivated hackers and cyber uh, threat actors. We also have our Global Investigative Operations Center, which we started about five or six years ago, where we provide investigative, analytical, and logistical support to our field offices. It's sort of our centralized fusion center, if you will. Mm. And then we also work a lot uh, through the NCFI, which is the National Computer Forensic Institute in Hoover, Alabama. It's really important for us as an organization to work as closely as we can with state and local partners. So we train thousands of state and local police officers on everything cyber uh, that you can think of from dead box forensics, mobile devices, uh, cryptocurrency. And many of those state and locals are part of our cyber fraud task forces. So they're a huge force multiplier for us, recognizing there's no one agency or organization that can can tackle cyber uh, by itself. 
What are the primary things that have your attention these days? What, what sort of things uh, are you focused on? So we're focused on, through both the Cyber Fraud Task Forces and our JIOC, on cryptocurrency investment schemes or confidence schemes. You'll, you might see in the news people call it pig butchering. I'm not a fan of that term. So <laughs> I like to just call it crypto confidence schemes. It's a massive problem. Business email compromise continues to lead every year in uh, the IC3 reporting, which is something that we take a look at along with our own metrics to make sure that we're working the most significant community impact cases. And then the other sort of underreported crime that we're focused on right now is sextortion. Hmm. Sextortion is something that isn't just targeting uh, juveniles. We, we've worked many investigations uh, supporting victims of uh, grown adults that are executives at major corporations. And it's a very underreported uh, crime, but it's very personal to us. So we, we spend a lot of energy on trying to disrupt and dismantle as many sextortion-related rings as we can. Is it fair to say that, that you encourage folks to reach out and, and as I said, you know, establish that relationship before they need you to get those lines of communication open? Without a doubt. One of the pieces of advice we always give to organizations is establish your contacts with federal law enforcement before the bad thing happens. And that could be join your cyber fraud task force. That could be call up your local office and just ask to speak to an investigator uh, or a special agent. Or we have uh, analysts in all of our field offices as well. Quite honestly, as I said earlier, we don't care if that contact that you make is with the FBI or us or HSI it's just critically important that you have those relationships built in. Go to lunch with that person. Get their phone number. Things always happen late at night on a weekend. So it's not going to be something that, especially when it comes to financial fraud like business email compromise, where you only have 24 to 36 hours in order to try to recover funds, it's really, really important that those relationships are established long before the bad day happens. All right. Well, Matt O'Neill is Deputy Special Agent in Charge for Cyber with the United States Secret Service. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Urban and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. 
The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.